Was the Gilded Age as grand and glamorous as it may seem, or was there a dark side? Join me, Carl Raymond, and my guests, Tom Myers and Greg Young, the Bowery Boys, in this premiere episode of my new podcast, The Gilded Gentleman, to take a look at this very question. Hello, I'm Carl Raymond, and welcome to the premiere episode of The Gilded Gentleman, Stories, Secrets, Style, and Seduction. From the grand and glittering Gilded Age, but not just America's Gilded Age, we'll be spending time in the Belle Epoque of Paris and the world of late Victorian and Edwardian London as well. My time frame will be roughly 1870 up to the outbreak of World War I in 1914, It was a grand and glittering world, whether you were in New York or Paris or London, but one where all that glittered certainly wasn't always gold. But it was a time of glamorous fashion, stunning architecture, extravagant food, beautiful music, and one of the most intriguing casts of characters that history has ever known. So I look forward to you joining me every two weeks for a look into the light and the dark of these truly fascinating worlds. I'll be doing some episodes alone, telling you stories and sharing secrets of the worlds behind the velvet curtains, but I'll be inviting expert guests as well. And today, to launch the podcast, I am particularly honored to have Tom Myers and Greg Young, the Bowery Boys, join me for a discussion on just how gilded the Gilded Age really was. Tom and Greg have hosted their show, Bowery Boys History Podcast, for nearly 15 years and have uncovered so many really fascinating corners and people throughout New York's history. I've been a guest on the Bowery Boys show and have been a guide with Bowery Boys Walks. Hi, Tom. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for joining me for The Gilded Gentleman and a trademark proper cup of tea. Let me pour you some tea right now. Um, We've got a steaming pot right here. I am so (laughs) glad that you're Um, here. uh, Hi, Carl. I'm sorry. Should I say salutations, Carl? (laughs) (laughs) We're being so formal here. Hi, Carl. Thank you. Thank you so much for bringing us in here on your first episode and letting us in on this fine chinaware, too, you have here. (laughs) For each episode of The Gilded Gentleman, I'll be sitting down with a cup of tea, The Gilded Gentleman's trademark, or I'll be pouring tea for my guests. And we have a nice steaming pot right here. Greg, how do you take your tea? Tom, what about you? A little milk? No? A a couple lumps for me, please. (laughs) Some cream? Do we have cream here? Real cream? Of of course. On my favorite Blue Willow China. (laughs) Now, before we launch into our discussion, I have to share with my listeners where we are. We're sitting having tea in the library of the Salma Gundy Club on Lower Fifth Avenue in New York. The Salma Gundy Club... It's a club for artists and patrons alike. The club's home is in this nearly intact 1853 brownstone townhouse. And if you squint a little, I think it's pretty easy to imagine the 19th century. The club began 150 years ago and has been here in this townhouse since 1917. And we're here in the library, which looks actually pretty much as it did in 1917. It's full of books and leather chairs and a leather sofa, old oak tables. To me, it really feels like old New York. What do you guys think? Doesn't Can't you feel old New York in here? feels like a a movie set. In fact, we were just talking to someone where a lot of TV shows have been filmed in here. It has that, you know, classic room of of extreme and important knowledge. 
We are we are sitting with our teacups in the back, sitting on these leather sofas, surrounded by bookshelves. I mean, hundreds of leather-bound books in here, under low-lit chandeliers. Uh, Fifth Avenue just outside the window, and we can kind of hear. You can sort of hear the rumble of Fifth Avenue, far off there. But it's it's amazing to be in a real 19th century, beautiful, um, I guess, mansion. If it was from the 1850s. Yeah, and we're surrounded by busts of very severe and august men. Artists, all of them. Yes, the Selma Gundy Club was actually founded in 1871 by just a group of artists that wanted to get together and help each other improve their work, artists and illustrators, and it's grown up to the present day. In fact, here in this room, we're actually surrounded by so many of their palettes that continue to decorate the walls, and as you said, the busts of a number of famous members of the club, so you can really feel their spirit, and I think you can feel the the spirit of art here, too. Absolutely. And today, Carl, you're joining them. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much. We're all joining them. I think yes. the world of old New York really hasn't disappeared. I think you both would probably agree it's still here if you just know where to look for it. Mm. So when people think of the Gilded Age, I think a lot of people think about those over-the-top mansions. They've been up to Newport or the grand balls that we see in films, things like the Age of Innocence. But it really wasn't all that, right? I mean, how did the Gilded Age even start? Well, the Gilded Age itself, I mean, the, the the name The Gilded Age comes from an 1873 book written by Mark Twain called The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today. Uh, he wrote it along with Charles Dudley Warner. It's interesting because it's a pejorative term. It was coined as a pejorative term. It was meant to make fun of the era. Gilded Age as opposed to, say, the Golden Age, right? It was not gold, it was gilding or guilting. That is to say, you know, guilting or gilding is is a very fine, thin veneer of gold that is sort of ad- ad- adhered to, say, something made out of wood or, or metal. It's a cheap way to make something look like gold. And in this book, Twain is spoofing really fortunes that were being made in, in this book in real estate. People were making enormous fortunes, and his protagonist was a family of very modest means that ended up making a fortune and then went on to become sort of like social climbers and very respected by society. So this was a parody of what was happening in the 1870s. And it's interesting that he anchors it on real estate and not industrialists, because I think we think of the Gilded Age today, when huge fortunes were made in the new industrialized age, uh, Carnegie, Rockefeller, all of them. You know what always I, I found so strange about that is even though the book was was written in 1873, that was barely the beginning of the Gilded Age, right. and it was about corruption and greed. And oh my goodness, there was so much more corruption and greed to come. I don't think they had any <laughs> idea when they wrote that book. Yeah, and you know it's it's really interesting. And some reading uh, I was doing to find that Shakespeare even played around with this concept mm. in in the play King John is that phrase uh to gild the lily to paint well it's to to gild gold or to paint the lily is wasteful and ridiculous excess and that's of course where our phrase gilding the lily comes from Mm -hmm. right absolutely but then something kind of interesting happens after the jazz age so post world war one post a new type of prosperity and, and then in a way kind of elimination of all of the different artistic styles of the era from the 1880s to, you know, 1914. And then sort of by the 1930s, people are looking back on that era 
completely different with the world having changed with like the stock market crash and with the invention of more American cultural ideas such as jazz music such as art deco and then with a the rise during the Great Depression with the ideas of a more of a strengthened middle class which would of course later go into the century then by this point the Gilded Age actually means more of a golden age like the, the term is now used almost synonymously uh, I have a couple newspaper examples from very early on, from the Tampa, Florida newspaper, 1935. The headline, Wed for Cash, Lair revealed. Harry Lair, the social dandy of the Gilded Age, said to his wife on their wedding evening in a Baltimore hotel, quote, I must tell you the unflattering truth. In my eyes, your money is your only asset. I married you because the only person I love is my mother. then five years later i began to see these different accounts of gilded age like specifically meaning a golden age but very very specific of this period of something to look back on fondly because of positive attributes which came from that so i found a furniture ad from 1940 enjoy the distinction of owning truly fine furniture Prior to that period of American history known as the Gilded Age of the early 90s, much of the aristocracy of the land had commissioned cabinet makers to create them furniture true to the fashion of the time. So in that case, this era is now being seen as like, oh, the crafts that came from that are rather exalted. So the the term is evolving to, I think, a point now where Gilded Age is synonymous not only with a Golden Age, but very specifically the kind of positive attributes and perhaps even a certain kind of nostalgia that we have for the particular era that you'll be discussing on your show. That's so interesting because clearly the term has evolved over its history. But when I think back to those 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, it seems like there really was this incredible dichotomy between the haves and the have-nots. And certainly these were years of tremendous immigration from Europe and elsewhere coming coming into uh, New York or to America. And it's an image that there's that famous story in that famous quote that immigrants often felt that in America, the streets were going to be paved with gold. But of course, once they got here, they found that the streets weren't paved at all. And guess what? They were expected to pave them. So, mm-hmm. so many injustices and instances of things that were just too unfair. What do you think were some of the worst restrictions of that period? Perhaps a gilded cage over a gilded age, would you suggest? I mean, obviously, many different types. First of all, it was really the benefits of this period were offered to just a few, right? I mean, New York had a a very, very restricted elite that was very hard to get into. It would be certain families and certain industrialists that would have most of the wealth of the city and, of course, leave the rest of the city often to fend for itself back in in the late 19th century. Right. And remembering, of course, that the the fortunes of these people, of the rarefied few who were at the top of this social ladder, were being made in many cases by the immigrants who were arriving by the millions into the country over the decades. And Carl, you know, you have been on a number of episodes of the Bowery Boys, but most recently, we, we discussed Edith Wharton and Edith Wharton's New York 
and how she wrote about the Gilded Age, including in the novel House of Mirth. And I just bring that up because that is a great example of seeing all the different layers of society, right? We see Lily Bart at the, at the top of society with access to all of these fortune, you know, the fabulous people and parties and, and mansions and then country estates, etc. And by the end, I hope this isn't a real spoiler here, but by the end, <laughs> we see her in a boarding house living with immigrants, right, who are working to help make really the fortunes of those of those few. So it's complicated. You know, it's, it's a time of really terrible financial disparity. And that was what was so important about the publication of Wharton's House of Mirth in 1905, because she laid it all bare, and she really did uncover all the levels of society, for which she was criticized. And there's a wonderful quote that she had herself, where she said, I have only lifted a corner of the garment. New York society is still amply clad. But she was she was quite angry in, in that novel. And also, think of the role of women at that period, and particularly for someone like Wharton, who was an artist, you know, society frowned on the phrase was, quote, women who wrote, unquote. Mm -hmm. So, of course, she ended up spending a great deal of her time in Europe and in France, and that's where she wrote some of her greatest, greatest work. But we will certainly come back to Wharton in, uh, in this, you know, when I also think, well, was there a positive side to all of this wealth during the Gilded Age. And I tend to think about it was actually a period where the beginnings of philanthropy were launched. And yes, a lot of money was wasted, but you still had the great fortune starting some of the great cultural institutions that we have to this day in New York, the museums and the, the musical institutions, things like that. It was also a period where America, and I find this so fascinating, was really looking for an identity. They kept looking to Europe and copying Europe, and, and sometimes they got it very, very wrong. And we will be looking <laughs> at that, too, particularly in, in architecture. But I do think it ushered in the progressive era after the turn of the century, uh, certainly with Roosevelt, and many, many positive reforms, social and cultural, happened then. Yeah, and when you mentioned that the philanthropy was getting started, especially cultural philanthropy, right? And that goes that goes together with looking to Europe and being inspired for the opera, uh, the Philharmonic, the, needing a music hall, these kinds of things, needing upgrades to New York's cultural institutions. And it was these families looking for ways to raise their own s social stature, right, by funding these institutions that could get them closer to the sort of European ideal. Absolutely. And most of it, at least during the Gilded Age, was France. Everyone had their eyes turned completely on France. But it was such an outrageous age. And when I look back on some of the most outrageous moments, I certainly think of people like Carolyn Astor, the Mrs. Astor. And I have an episode coming up where we're really going to look at the world of Carolyn Astor. She was a fascinating person, a fascinating force that I think had both negative and positive influence but the famous stories of, of balls for 400 and dinners with expensive duck and terrapin. There was a story of a dinner that I so love where guests arrived to find tables piled with sand and they were given silver shovels and asked to <laughs> dig out the precious jewels that were in the sand. And of course, they could take them home. You know, and other stories of diamond dog collars and $100 bills used as rolling papers for cigarettes. I mean, all of these stories really contributed. And, and were they doing this just to increase their own social standing? What, what, well, they were doing it to show off. I mean, the thing about the Gilded Age, of course, was whether it was architecture or fashion or, or food, certainly, it was all about showing 
off that you had this money, then you could essentially effect, effectively throw it away. One of the greatest moments, which is interesting, some people actually say it might have been the grand finale of the Gilded Age, and that was the famous Bradley Martin Ball in 1897. There were so many balls during the Gilded Age, and of course, if you got invited to one, that meant you were in, and if you didn't, that meant you were permanently shut out. But Bradley Martin and his wife Cornelia threw an enormous ball at the Waldorf Astoria in February of 1897. It cost about $10 million in today's money. There were 800 guests, although a few over, a little over 1,000 were invited. But the idea here, and this is why it was so fascinating to me as Cornelia had the idea of, well, if I send out the invitations late, no one will have time to order their dresses and their clothes. It was a costume ball uh, from Paris. So they will have to patronize the seamstresses and tailors and dress designers and milliners and jewelers here in New York and thereby flood the economy with money. So it was in her mind, it was this idea of of actually giving back by throwing this great ball and philanthropy. It, so well, it was, it was sort of a backhanded philanthropy. Uh, the press didn't didn't um, buy it quite the same way, and unfortunately, the Bradley Barnes had to head off to England, and that was the end of that. But what an example! One interesting aspect of what this show is going to be about is, of course, many people would say that we are in a brand new Gilded Age. Uh, some would even say that we're even in a more extreme quote, Gilded Age, than might have been in the late 19th century. And I think that there are a lot of things you could point to in our world right now. You know, anything from the extreme wealth that just a small number of people hold in this country to all sorts of disparities that are happening in American culture right now. I think you have and can draw a lot of parallels to the things that happened in the late 19th century. And I think that's important to remember. And I think a lot of, of the stories that you're going to tell will ring true to things that are happening in our, in our world right now. And don't you guys agree, I'm sure, after all the work that you've done, is the more one looks at history and sees history, you realize how much it does, in fact, repeat itself. But we've been chatting so much, I just realized your teacups are empty. It's time to have a little refill here and maybe a little bit more milk um, in your tea. Thank you. You're so welcome. And there's so much more to say about what's going on during the first season. And we'll talk about that after a little break. Well, now that we're back, we've certainly spent some time talking about the Gilded Age, but maybe we can talk a little bit about the Gilded Gentleman and who is the Gilded Gentleman? (laughs) Who are you, Carl? But no, seriously, you are so knowledgeable about this very unique period in history. I practically feel like I'm sitting with John Jacob Astor III himself. (laughs) Well, my goodness, I need my walking stick and my top hat for that. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your expertise in this particular aspect of history? Sure. I have been so long fascinated with both the positive and the negative parts of the Gilded Age, but also the world of the Belle Epoque in France and England at the turn of the century. And even though the time period was was really the same here, the influences on each of these worlds was just a little bit different. And the Gilded Gentleman 
really represents what I'm interested in. And, you know, what, as it turns out, what so many people, after the lectures and talks and tours that I've done after the uh, past couple of years, other people are interested in too. And so that was part of the creation of the Gilded Gentlemen. So I'm looking at so many aspects of culture and society during this period. And, and where does this come from? I mean, personally, for you, what makes you so interested in all of the different aspects of the Gilded Age? Have you, have you had experiences like those of the Gilded Age? Have you wanted to live in the Gilded Age? What what makes the Gilded Age so special to you? Well, I think probably most of all, it's it's really my love of history. I, I worked in historic preservation for a period of time, and certainly after becoming a New York City tour guide, and especially our work together as a guide with, with Bowery Boys Walk stimulated all of that. When I talk about uh, the literature and the books of the period, I worked in book publishing for a long time, and I'm really anxious to look at the literature and writers of this period. Mm. The music aspects, I've studied music all my life. I had a dream once upon a time of being the world's great greatest opera singer, and I did, in fact, sing in the chorus, mind you, of a number of opera productions. And wait, I wait, 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 wait. You can't just blow by, by that card. You were singing in the, in the choir? You were on stage in New York? Uh, well, I was on stage in New York. I sang an opera in Boston with an opera company called Boston Concert Opera. I was in the chorus. So yes, I have performed in stage at opera. And on stage in New York. And I did perform on stage in New York, yes, at the Metropolitan Opera, but I have to give you a caveat. I was a, a walk-on actor doing non-singing priests and soldiers and things like that. So yes, I was at the Metropolitan Opera for five years, but I never, what? of course, sang. Hey, I mean, your Broadway credit <laughs> listing doesn't distinguish between whether you sang the main league or you just did a walk-on and just did a wave to the audience. And actually, can Well, we, that's can, exactly what it was in La Boheme, in the second act of La Boheme. There's a lot of waving to the audience. So, it, it, yes. If we find a cast photo from La Boheme, can we find you dressed as a, as a what, as a priest? As a sol- a, that was a soldier, that particular... Um, oh, my goodness. I was, a, I was one of the populace, too, in another productions. But um, <laughs> And food, I love culinary culture as well. And in fact, as a break from my professional life, I actually went to culinary school and I got a diploma in culinary arts and trained as a professional chef. So, you know, I published a number of articles about food and food history. And uh, it's very hard to write about food without getting hungry. So the point of all of this is the Gilded Gentleman is really an opportunity to bring together the areas that I love, subject I've spent time in, explore them more deeply. And mm-hmm. as I said, I'm so excited to know so many other people are fascinated with all of it as well. So you'll be talking about all of those things because you have this kind of knowledge. You'll be talking about the opera and performance, and you'll be talking about what people were eating in these in these dining rooms in these mansions. Absolutely. So then what can we expect from the Gilded Gentleman, the show, with this fabulous experience that you're going to bring into it? Can you give us a sneak preview of some upcoming shows in the first season? Well, in the same way that your show, the Barry Boys History Podcast, explains the background and goes into all sorts of intriguing details and little-known aspects of New York City, the Gilded Gentleman will do the same thing looking at this specific and I think very legendary uh, time period in three great cities, and of course, beyond that. And I want to talk about famous places, famous people that most of us never knew. In fact, one upcoming show will take us to Monaco and the French Riviera in the 1890s because, and I love this, few people actually realize that Grace Kelly, Princess Grace, was not the first American princess of Monaco. There's a whole other story there. Whoa. And did you know, by the way, we've talked a little bit about Edith Wharton, but she had a secret love affair in Paris in 1907, 1908. 
which in some ways you could say changed her life. Now, Wharton, of course, as you know, is a writer I do a lot of work on. We've talked about that. I've been, I was a guest on your Wharton show back in April. So very often we'll be looking at her life and work. Other writers I love, people Henry James and Marcel Proust, Oscar Wilde, I know that everyone is fascinated with true crime, and there will actually be a series for Patreon members called the Gilded Gentleman True Crime Club, where I'll dissect, I'm sorry I had to say that, but yes, dissect (laughs) some of the solved and still unsolved uh, mysteries and murders from those dark alleys of old New York and the foggy streets of London. So stay tuned for that. Mm. So in the very next episode following this one, I'm going to be taking listeners to the opera and we'll look at the most glamorous night, arguably, in Gilded Age history, which was the opening of the new Metropolitan Opera House in 1883. The uh, the audience was full of Astors and Vanderbilts and Morgans, and I'm not really sure so many of them actually watched the opera, but we will discuss that on stage, backstage, and in the audience, at least that's where the drama was going on. Fabulous. Greg, pack your opera glasses. (laughs) I think we are just actually now about out of tea. So thank you so (laughs) much, Greg and Tom, for joining me. Let's do this again. And a huge thank you to both of you for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you for the tea. It was lovely. We had a lovely experience. Yes, and uh, we would encourage everybody to go ahead and hit subscribe, actually, uh, to Carl's show. Let's get his subscription rate up, folks, at The Gilded Gentleman, so that you will be the first to know when there's a new episode in your feed. You don't want to miss any night in Gilded Age New York, Paris, or London. So join me, Carl Raymond, every two weeks for a nice spot of tea and a discussion of the glitter and the gold and all that lay underneath. And be sure to visit me at thegildedgentleman.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter to stay up to date on all my gilded goings-on. And of course, follow me on Instagram at carlthegildedgentleman. I'll see you soon. After all, what's life without a little glint of gold? (laughs) 